Hey, bookworms. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. This episode features a chat with Julia Ridley Smith. We're talking about Sex Romp Gone Wrong. That is a collection of short stories available on February 6th. So if you don't if you don't have a whole lot of time on your hands and you just want to like read a short story, put the book down, get started on another story, get put the book down. Um, this is for you. This was a really cool conversation with Julia. We were talking about kind of like just the themes in her book and then also how her life, personal experiences inspired this story. But without further ado, here is Julia Ridley Smith. Okay, so today we've got Julia Ridley Smith. We are talking about Sex Romp Gone Wrong. That collection of stories comes out on February 6th. Julia, thanks for joining me today. I enjoy a collective short stories, and I think it's it's just always really cool to see how they all come together. And I'm, I'm, we're going to get into it. So thanks for joining me today. Great. Thank you for having me, Megan. Sure. Perfect. So before we get started, can you give like a little rundown, like a little summary of the collection so that listeners can follow along with the conversation? Sure. Sex Rom Gone Wrong is a collection of 12 stories. They're all centered around girls and women who are dealing with really everyday problems of love and desire and friendship. Some of the stories follow the younger part of girlhood and teen life, and then others get into what it's like being more middle-aged. So there's a range of characters, including summer moms, summer daughters, friends, lovers, wives, lots of different roles that are getting played out. And really the stories are about the struggles that I think women and girls commonly encounter in those roles and also some of the ridiculous situations they can get us into or we yeah. get ourselves we get ourselves into or yeah. that happens. I know, to I love it. I know because some of the characters I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> so, so some of them were oh I doing i wouldn't do that but that's what makes it real and authentic and like entertaining too it's just what are you gonna do like how are you gonna handle this what are you doing <laughs> and i feel like that's just my running dialogue with myself <laughs> like, uh, uh oh what's going on now come on julie get your shit together right? yeah, pretty much. That's, that's yeah i say that to myself every day don't worry. yeah <laughs> as my students say relatable right yeah, exactly. Okay, so can you go into like your background a little bit and either personal or professional and like, what led you to put together this collection and maybe like anything that prepared you for this project, things like that? Yeah, so I have been writing stories since I was little. I always was a kid that loved to pretend and I was always writing and I was really into drama when I was in high school and I did ballet and I did all the creative things when I was growing up, but writing settled out to be the one that I was the most kind of excited about. And I think growing up in a family that loved reading and wordplay, that really set me on my path. So I studied creative writing in college. I went to grad school and got an MFA. I did all of that. But when I got out of grad school, I, I dallied with getting a PhD in literature and becoming a literature professor. But ultimately, I decided I was not a scholar. Mm -hmm. um, and so for a lot of years, I was a freelancer. 
a freelance copy editor. And so I was juggling like writing and raising my son and doing freelance work. And I think I just always loved writing short stories and reading short stories. And now that I teach, I short stories a lot to my fiction students. The other thing is that before publishing this book of collections, I published a memoir that's about cleaning out my parents' house after they died and they were antique dealers. And mm. so some of those experiences show up in the fiction as well. There are a couple of stories that are set in assisted living facilities that sort of draw on my experience of those places. There's another one set in an antique shop. that So they're not autobiographical in that way, but they do draw on all of my stories draw on my life experience in some way, but none of them are autobiographical in, in that straightforward sense. Sure. Yeah. I think that's really common with a lot of short stories. Like you just, you get ideas because just from little things here and there, imagining how might this hot mess of a teenager like handle this situation. <laughs> yeah, poorly is usually. <laughs> exactly. Huh? It's like a rite of passage, though. Absolutely. Yeah, I went through it, and then I've witnessed many other folks doing it, too. Yeah. What what levels, grade levels, do you teach then, or age group? I teach at college, college okay. level. Yeah. Okay. Creative writing, that's, which is really fun. I yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I bet, yeah. I, I imagine it's, like, never a dull moment. Or if it is, maybe it's, like, a nice break. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's pretty great. They, uh, but especially, I think with intro level fiction writers, they're so excited to be in there and they're just busting loose after having gone through so many English classes where they've had mm. this really kind of rigid way of that they had to write. And so they're very excited to get to exercise their creativity. Yeah. To kind of just unleash like little refreshing, like just to really let go and let loose and yeah. maybe something that's not, maybe there is pressure and creativity, right? Like you want to make it a really good piece, but I imagine it's, there's just more freedom and it's more like subjective, right? Where it's. Yeah. They love getting to have that freedom yeah. to write whatever they want. I'm pretty like, you can write whatever you want, as long as you don't creep out your classmates so bad that they don't want to get <laughs> elevator with you after class. <laughs> One of my rules of thumb. Oh, because you have them like peer review and stuff, or did you yeah, have read critique, aloud? They critique each other's work. Oh, that's so funny. I know. I think I had a conversation with another author who he was talking about how he was into, he felt like he didn't really fit in when he would, because he was writing short stories too. But then I'm like, well, I'm sure as you got older and you got more into your craft, I'm sure you just find your audience, right? You just, even if you learn, okay, maybe I shouldn't say these things out loud, but you eventually find your audience who that, they draw that. Like, he was like more into the splatter Western or oh. splatter punk, the kind of horror adjacent genre. And so I was like, no, you get older and you learn that there's a community out there. There's an audience out there for you, for that for that stuff. Yeah. And I think it's useful. I definitely have a lot of students who are more students now than I used to who are interested in horror. I think that's a, it's a popular genre right now. And it's not my thing, but I still feel like even if the students are interested in genres other than what I am interested in, there's plenty that I can talk to them and teach them about narrative fiction and character development and all of those yeah. things would be useful to them. Yeah. It applies to like a lot to no yeah. matter what like you need it needs to make sense like a lot of these concepts like elements right. apply to yeah 
<laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Like horror, I don't know. I guess I'm more interested. I'm more welcome to reading it rather than watching it. There's a certain, oh, there's, God. yeah, there's some movies that I'm just like, my interest is peaked. So I like, I'll watch it, but I feel like I have to be like in a certain mood. I think there's a lot of like horror or like maybe on the more like disturbing side movies that I've had on my watch list for like years because I just haven't been like I feel like I have to be in a, a mood for it but when I read like short horror stories or a suspense and thrillers not quite mm -hmm. horror but I, when I read like the horror elements or dark fantasy I've like that's my case it's like I can whatever my brain wants to do with it and like how it imagines how it's played out it's more like up to me so versus the visuals and how the story's playing out and I can't I could pause it, but I can't like, it's going to, it's going to go at the pace that it goes, right? <laughs> like right. when you're reading it, it's such a different experience. So no, I, I share that sentiment with, I don't really like being scared. No, I don't like, I can scare myself well enough. I don't need like a lot of help. It doesn't take much. That's hilarious. So hopping off of that with your, yeah, you wrote the memoir. I was reading on your website and stuff that you did that. How did that experience differ from because it was like a, an essay form right like a bunch of yeah. essays in your memoir yeah so how did that how did this experience with your collection of short stories like the fiction how did that compare like how was that different did you approach it the same any big lessons learned things like that it, it was different because the short stories I've been writing over a period stories over a period of probably 20 years even a little mm. bit more than that and I've written other stories and other lots of other things along the way and when I gathered this collection together it was just because I realized I had a dozen stories that shared themes so they really like fit together so I was writing each one as a discrete short story at the time at a certain time in my life whereas when I went to I did by writing a couple of the essays and then definitely had the idea that it was going to become a book of linked essays really that tell this story about cleaning up my parents house and about the objects that some of the objects there that were really meaningful to me in writing nonfiction it was really the first time that I'd written those kinds of essays but they let me explore different things about the material than say the short story form does and I feel like the short for the short story form what I'm really interested in is the characters mm -hmm. and how they develop emotionally so I'm really burrowing into what is going on with them and in all of their mixed feelings yeah. and, and what does that mean for them whereas in essays I'm following my curiosity about ideas more even though I'm telling a story in those essays it's also letting me look at the way other thinkers have talked about certain ideas about material culture that sort of thing um I li I liked being able to write in these different veins um and I think I'll continue writing fiction and nonfiction and sometimes even I'll get an idea and I'm like is this an idea for a story or an essay you know and so I have to weigh it out and determine is this more of a story where something that feels more like a story I want to tell about a person's interiority and what's happening in their emotional life or is it something that's percolating a lot of questions that I want to mm. do research about so. yeah yeah that's a good point it's you got to listen to your gut like what what's gonna what does what seems right should I explore it and what lens do you want to look at what do you think yeah. about it versus what how creative can you get with 
taking it further, like imagining. Yeah. And it's also whether I want to have to stick to facts or if I want to be able (laughs) to just jump off into making things up which is a lot of the fun of writing fiction. Yeah, yeah. I, again, coming off of that, I wanted to explore like like your research process. Mm-hmm. Did you do like any research? Because like you said, you could make stuff up, but I'm sure you had to like dig around deeper outside of your brain. Like how, how you know, how did you, was there anything fascinating that you learned? Things like that. Yeah, for the short stories, there's not so much of a reason. It's more if some small point comes up, then I need to research this one particular aspect of something. The story's largely made up, but there might be a detail about the character or something that's going on in the time period or with the character's interests that I have to look up. It'll be really random things that I have to Google. So there's a story... (laughs) There's a story called Delta Foxtrot in here that's about a woman who's, whose family was really into boating. And so the way that they have their sort of like family in jokes and the way they talk to each other is through the language of semaphore flags, which I didn't know anything about yeah. <laughs> at all. So I had to go look them up. And they're, it was actually really fun to look up what each of the flags means. And they're assigning different words to different letters of the alphabet. And then what these flags mean and to work some of those messages into that story was a one fun example of, it was just a little bit of research I did, but it would, it played a role in the subtext of that story and how the people in it can't articulate what it is they need to say to each other. Yeah. And then when I, I remember that, cause then when I matched the two, what Delta means and then what Foxtrot means to like juxtapose those, it's what was it? It was like Delta means like what it was like about communication. Like one was like, I can't talk right now or, but then Foxtrot was along the lines of, I need someone, like I need to talk to you. Something like that. That's that's the gist of what I remember. I know I'm like looking no, at. Now like, I've where, forgotten. Yeah. Uh, like where's my PDF here? <laughs> some of this. So there's one that gets mentioned where the, that's her father, the character's father, who's sick. And then one of the lines is whiskey. I require medical assistance. So whiskey is one of one of the flags. Yeah. So I was using those flags as this shorthand to create that that language that would stand in for what the characters can't manage to say to each other. Yeah, here it is. Delta meaning keep clear of me. I am maneuvering with difficulty. Yeah. So so that would be one example of research that I had to do. Or I'm trying to think if there was another one. A lot of it is just things that are coming out of my own experience and my own weird little bits of knowledge that I have about things. Having grown up in a family of antique dealers. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to dig into that. Like how did, so both of your parents, they owned the, the antique shop as a joint project. Yeah. I I don't know. I can only make, cause I don't know my, my mom, she's like in her, she is early seventies, but she's, that's like always been her thing. Like she really enjoys antiquing and my dad doesn't to flatter her, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a mutual hobby or anything like that. So I imagine, were you also into it too? Or were you just like, over it like how did <laughs> yeah some of both by the time I was born they had opened this shop so they always had it when I was growing up and my mom did a lot of the buying and she would go out on the road and do the buying and 
go do shows where she would set up a booth and do the whole thing. And my dad stayed back at the shop and took care of the business side. Of it. He did the bookkeeping and that kind of stuff. And I think it suited both of them just because neither one of them was real like enjoyed having a nine to five job. They'd done that briefly in their youth um, sure. and decided that wasn't <laughs> for them. So having a shop, let them do that. And I think if anything, that was what I'd, I got that from them too, that when I grew up and tried to have a nine to five job, it just really did not work for me at all. I couldn't stand just sitting in the same place all day long. Yeah. Um, so I've always looked for jobs that had flexibility. But as far as the antiques go, yeah, I was like, my brother was really into it. He started buying stuff when he was little and like putting <laughs> things in the shop and wanting to learn about everything. And I liked learning about this stuff, but I had no interest in the business. Part oh, okay. Of like, I, I just could see that. I'm not interested in like buying or selling anything or thinking <laughs> about profit margin, any of that. No. <laughs> like the operations. I could see yeah. that where it's, you, yeah, the history of it, or the sentimentality of it, or what what kind of story does this piece mm -hmm. tell type of thing. I could see Absolutely. how that would be more appealing than, oh, who's this target market? Yeah. Or let me follow these folks around the shop trying to tell them about things when they're just trying to figure out what's going to look good in their fancy house or whatever. Exactly. Um, exactly. That, that's That wasn't really for me. But yeah, it's the stories and the objects is something that that's definitely that was really the focus of my memoir. But it's it was it also shows up in these stories, definitely in the story called "Et to Miss Jones," which is about a young woman who ha is grieving for her parents and befriends an older man who's running an antique shop. And I think why she's drawn to him is because he works up these kind of fantastic stories about the objects in his shop. And it's that sort of this idea of making stories and making magic from the objects that is what is appealing to her and what she is like missing after yeah. her parents go. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely sense that. Cause she, yeah. Cause I remember thinking about that character. I'm like, what is, she? it's a, it seemed like an odd thing, like an odd hobby, like an odd pairing. But then once you get it in the context, then you get into the character. You're like, oh, okay. You understand her psyche, you understand the motivation and, and the underlying what she misses and why she's drawn to that environment. And then of course, like the drama that happens with so, oh my God, what did you do, girl? <laughs> what a friend, there's some friend drama that goes on there, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's like the fun of it, right? Like all these personalities and the conflict and the drama and it, that, that's just yeah. what makes it entertaining and it makes you think because it's it, obviously in that story, like these, these, the two, I don't know, the opposing sides, they know of each other through this character. And then once it like, that little showdown happens it's yeah you're just like how what how i was thinking like girl how would you how would it go any other way what did you expect right. what did you, you think know? was gonna happen yeah. but like, so the main character delia she's friends with this antique dealer and then she's also friends with this professor right and so the the thing is that the professor and the antique dealer just have these totally opposite ideas about how stories work is really what it comes down to. And Delia's caught in the middle and wanting to impress both of these people 
But ultimately, there's just really no way to do. It. Of course, their opposing views are not gonna. It's not gonna end well, as you yeah. said. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and that's just for the bigger picture that speaks to and how it ties into the whole collection as a whole. It's just exploring what what was what's the deeper layer there what's the motivation what what are the what's an ex, what is that ex, an example of is it an example of trying to impress people or trying to like somehow merge these two parts of yourself or you know what i mean it could be it, it just makes you think what what were you trying to do <laughs> what girl what were you trying to yeah. do there? <laughs> i think in so many situations i don't know in my life and then this is what i'm interested in exploring stories is we have these kind of opposing impulses <laughs> Or these, these mixed feelings, opposing impulses, and we're trying to figure out how to like satisfy all of it somehow, maybe, or reconcile it. And it's yeah. really difficult, right? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of the times, like, I want one thing and I want another thing and I want both those things, but they do not, they cannot go together, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. How do you find those outlets to like satisfy both of those like little parts of yourself that seem to be combative it's, yes right yeah for sure I know and I, I think about that in my friend groups I a lot of my closest friends are so different <laughs> from one another but I've just uh, maintained these friendships through like different points in my life where I was much different person at 12 than I was at 20 but I've still I still have close relationships and friendships that have lasted that long, but like the times that they have those groups of friends or those right. single friends have interacted, I'm just like, oh, like eh, it's not gonna happen with the, with the whole joining thing, colliding, you know? like the whole world's colliding thing. It's like right. you've lived a certain amount of time, you collect enough people from these different spheres that if you try to have them all together, it just doesn't work. Really, the only time that should happen is probably at your funeral, right? What you know, know, or your wedding, like, <laughs> whatever. Sometime when you're not actively paying attention to what's going on among those. There people. you go. Yes. <laughs> you're distracted. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it, was, it just reminded me of my own wedding where it was like different personalities involved and who was standing up and everything. And at the end of the day, like the day of, like everyone had a great time, but yeah, there, there was definitely some drama and it was because yeah. there's some different personalities and there's only so much I could do about that. I'm like, can you all just suck it up until August 22nd? You know? <laughs> like, Save yourself for just a hot minute, right? So I can get yeah, bite your tongue, just be cooperative. Exactly. Yeah, that, that story, that part, it, it did. Besides the antiquing aspect of it, that part, like, I was really like, yeah, that, that was one of the more memorable ones, I think, just because it was, it all came to a head. And it was, I don't know, that's the readers, you let us into it. And then once it happened, you were like, yeah, of course. What did you, <laughs> did you do that on purpose? What happened? Yeah, and I have to say, as a writer, as a person, I'm really pretty conflict averse. I really don't like those kinds of uncomfortable situations. And when I'm writing stories, it really takes a lot of drafts for me to be able to push the characters to those points where these little blow ups or an awkward conversation or whatever actually takes place. I'll write a lot of versions where I'm like, and then nah, nothing happened. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good. You're like, you're like that's no. not a very compelling story. <laughs> yeah. So I really I could see that. Cause yeah, I'm like thinking some writers, like, yeah, maybe they're not some they're not like confrontational, but 
maybe they like live vicariously through their characters, <laughs> like where they could imagine what if they could like say what they want to say or do this naughty thing and things like that. But you're on the on your hand, you're like, oh, I don't. It took a lot for me to get there. <laughs> I can. De- I'm definitely fine with saying the naughty thing. Like uh, that happens all the time. But in the, these conflict situations where there's actual active argument or or just confronting something that's been simmering between people. There's another story called Flown in which these two old friends meet up after a very long time and there's some a lot of water under the bridge. And so there's a scene in that story where they first encounter each other after yeah. a lot of years. And that one was really difficult for me to write just to figure out like, oh, that situation would be so awkward. Like what? Yeah. What yeah, because as yeah, because as a reader, I remember that I'm thinking like, okay, that was just an example, but that where it was that moment when you're leading us in and you're telling the story, where the readers think we finally get to the point, find out what that fallout was about, like what happened, and then it's just like, didn't really have to end up so awkward where there was no coming back from that, but that happens all the time. Oh like, yeah, once you cross that threshold, once you cross that line, it's really hard to. Like nothing's the same again. And it's a shame that it was just, nope, that's where it ends. That's where that friendship, that relationship ends. And then it's, yeah, it's like awkward because your lives, you're not done with each other yet. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And there's also, I think it's so hard to figure out how to like let a friendship subside with any kind of gracefulness. I think what most often happens is there's some sort of, rift or sometimes it's an argument, but sometimes it's something more subtle. And then I think what happens is people just tend to ghost and yeah, you just stop seeing that person. And so you never really have it out exactly. Yeah. And then when you run and then by the time it's like too late, it's like awkward to try to have it out. It's awkward to try to revisit that or like the moment it's passed. No, there's no point to talking about it right now. And you've become a different one if it's years later you basically become a different person. So it's, you can't recreate it. But I think for me, when those things have happened in my life, they always carry a grief with them. And that I, part of it is a grief for my own behavior, maybe, or where did I fail or what could I have done to make that situation better? But it's also just, it's just a grief for when we lose a friendship. Yeah. It's a loss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The loss part of it. And it's, I think that's what we have to like, remember as readers or as people, loss isn't death. Loss can be like what once was or relationships, or it's not always like you're missing the the person because they're no longer there, like physically. It's like that tie is severed and and there's, it's so difficult to like, there's no coming coming back from that. And it's sad. It could be really sad. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or you both move to different places in your life and it, you just can't quite like mesh up anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, absolutely. One of the stories I do want to, well, we could keep it spoiler free or I'll edit the stuff because I like the, I think it was at the Arrowhead where the woman is, she's taking care, she's like in the in a care center in a senior care home. And one of her, the elderly patients or whatever you want to call them, residents he she knows him from the past from her times with her mom's working at a motel and he was one of the 
guests there. So this is just for my personal, like I get edited out. This is just for my personal clarification. Yeah. So like she, I guess it wasn't like, I was trying to figure out what exactly the role that he played in her brother's, like her family's demise, because I know that to the point where she felt like he owed her something. And cause I guess it wasn't like when I was reading it, I was like, maybe it was implied, but I think I, maybe I missed it, but it was like, I guess it wasn't, or maybe that was the point where it was like, what role, what did he do that caused her brother to drown or how, how did that, the events leading, how do those interactions lead up to that? Yeah. Um, yeah. The only I mean, I could get from that is because she wasn't there because she didn't want to be around him or something, or she thought, I don't know. Yeah. yeah you know, I mean, just he, for my personal clarification. Right. For one thing, that think about how it leads to the family's demise is copy that the press wrote for the book cover. Okay. So, um, that's, <laughs> that's part of the wording. Okay. Um, yeah. But I think in the larger sense, she, she blames him because he's been visiting the hotel, the motel. He's sleeping with her mom. Her mom starts to talk about how maybe she's going to be able to get out of the motel and get an apartment right. for kids. She's a young single mom with two kids. And so hopefully what you read through that is that the this guy's been making some kind of promises. Got to it, yes. That he's going to help her. And when when the little girl is not watching her brother and he drowns in the pool... The mother just sees all of her dreams like blowing up and she got and she leaves. She basically abandons the daughter. So I think it's not so much that obviously the guys at it's fault. It's kind of like indirect. Right? So yeah, maybe I was like, yeah, I was maybe because I, I was like, I was expecting like, because like, yeah, that, that I got that much where they there was something going on and she was watching it through a child's eyes, right? So there was only a certain level of understanding right. or intuition that she had through unspoken words or just whatever. And yeah, I guess it was like, what role did he play? But yeah, it was like indirect words, like the chain of events. So I definitely caught that. So maybe I was just like, is there something that I was missing? But no, there was. <laughs> like no, maybe there wasn't at anything. all. Yeah. I think it's it's like how there can be people who are involved in our lives and contribute directly and indirectly to things that happen to us and whether they exactly caused it or not. Yeah, that's one of the we can focus some kind of blame or anger at that person whether that's a hundred percent fair or not. And I yeah. think another thing about her, Charlotte's feel about that man, it's that she, in some ways she resents that he would pay, was paying attention to her brother and nobody was paying attention to her. That's yeah. like the, the thing is like her whole life, no one's really been paying attention to her. Yeah. Um, until oddly he does at the end in the nursing yeah. home she's helping him he's he finally sees her yeah uh, but he can't he can't place her he doesn't remember exactly he just he recognizes certain features and then and she doesn't she's she doesn't take her chance to be like yeah it's me motherfucker yeah because right she's become a bit philosophical at this point and she's he's old he's sickly yeah yeah, she's, I don't know, but yeah, so then I was, as a reader, being introspective about it, I was like, yeah, maybe that's just representing, like, you never know when your paths are going to cross again and, and what that could mean for you at that point. 
and what opportunities might arise at that point. Because obviously she saw, she recognized him. She, I don't know if she saw it as an opportunity or not, but she felt like she, yeah, like she felt like she, he owed her something and then she took it. So it, I appreciated that aspect of it, but I, yeah, I was just like, wait, did I miss something? Cause I wanted to, I, I, I did speak to me. It was one of the more, probably all the stories are strong, but I think not like it resonated with me, but it was stronger to me anyway. But I was like, wait a second, did I miss something? But yeah, I guess a reader is just what, yeah, it, it's just an example of how you don't, how these paths can cross one way or the other. And you never know in the future you can, encounter this person again and maybe you have the upper hand this time it's and also i remember some years ago i think it was i think i was listening to maybe like an episode of this american life ira glass show in yeah, which it's fantastic people, yeah people were talking telling stories about how they like tried to go back and confront their parents about something maybe in their youth and just realize that it's pointless. Everybody, <laughs> the thing is done. They've all changed. Maybe even the parents are dead. It's this sort of futility of going back and trying to either get somebody to say why they did what they did or get the, try to get an apology from somebody. Some sort of epiphany, some sort of closure. and Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's too late. The ship has sailed. And at some point in this story, that's what Sharla realizes is even if I, even if I were to tell him who I am, what's going to come of it? Like nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of I don't want to say the lesson, but that's part of the takeaway, right? It's even if she did get it, it's still almost like it's anticlimactic, right? It's, it's not as satisfying as she. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I de Yeah, definitely. It's just, and it's like, how did you accomplish this in 20 pages? I don't know. <laughs> A lot of drafts. There you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All of the stories that I write go through, most of them go through just so many drafts and sometimes I I, years for me to figure them out. Really. Yeah. I think one of the things I read was the purpose of the first draft is to be a, a first draft. Like that's, it's okay. Just expect that this is not going to be like the final print. It's just oh, to no. get it out. Yeah. I've, that's one of the things I'm working with my students all the time is just teaching them. At first, the drafting process may seem terrible, right? You don't want to have to like cut things that you wrote. Yeah. Um, but ultimately it really becomes your friend because each draft is this new kind of, you can do anything. You can totally change it up if something's yeah. working. So I don't know. Sometimes I think I, maybe I spend too long. In, in story but well, it takes the time that it takes it takes right. whatever it takes to get to make to make it come out full circle right to to, right. to get the point across and to get the message out there again hopping off of that like what were maybe like you've alluded to this but if you can it's like a two-parter what were like the most if, if there is an answer for this what were like the most what was the most like challenging story to write or parts of the collection to write and then the more enjoyable stories or parts to write. Yeah. So I think that hmm, a couple of the stories that were maybe more challenging for me were to write were Damn It, in which the character is the main character is a little girl who is visiting a family member at an old house in their family that was once a plantation. And it's a child starting to think about how does a white person 
begin to think about race and the legacy of family as slaveholders and also this sort of her burgeoning awareness that racism is a thing and when is it when is she going to start to take part in that system yeah. and so that one was tricky to figure out like her point of view and like where she was in that right so, yeah you play with that like her becoming self-aware and then self-reflect like reflecting when she wants to believe that no what she questions herself like how she's perceiving the situation yeah I thought I that was one of my favorite ones of, of the collection for sure so that one was I spent a lot of time with that one trying to figure out the finer points in there and then Another one is the first story in the collection, which is Don't Breathe, which has a two element on a scene of women talking about their experiences with sexual assault. And really the focus of that is how the friend, how it's really about a situation in which friends left a friend behind. So I didn't want the focus of the story to be the assault itself, but this sure. sort of like the resonance years later of how the friends are still thinking about what happened um, yeah I yeah I like that one too and I like how I think it was a really good choice to to put that as the first story because then it's it sets the tone but it also yeah because you want to I could definitely see how you wanted that to you definitely wanted to make that point but you didn't want that to be the point right like you wanted it it was about like, okay, we're all about girls, women sticking together, but even like the main character, she's reflecting and she even comes across, she ref, she comes to that realization in the moment where she's no, she like giving her friends a benefit of the doubt. She was like, I don't, maybe I don't remember the situation correctly. Like they didn't, maybe they didn't see it that way. Maybe I wasn't, it's not their fault that I, that they like forgot about me. And, and as a reader, I was like, it makes you inspect, go over the fact that what maybe like you're justifying other people's behavior or like trying to explain it or trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. But like at the end of the day, it's like there are so many, okay, what's this woman's story? Like, how did what was her time? What was her moment that happened to her? And it's that's the bigger picture. It's yeah, reflecting on friendship, but in the bigger picture, it's like, every woman has some version of this story and it's it could be tied to soberness it could be tied to inebriation it could be tied to friends who weren't looking out for her it could be tied to her own self-destruction it could be tied and even whatever the reason is the bottom line is nobody should be subject to that treatment no matter what like to the ultimate like result like nobody just don't rape people don't sexual assault people doesn't yeah. matter if they're alone it doesn't matter if they're a piece of shit it doesn't matter if they're it's just it's you know it doesn't matter what they're wearing it's like how about you just don't rape people like how about it's why is why are you just looking at one part of it because it's it's not uncommon where in a group of women 14 women whatever yeah 10 of them at least probably have experienced sure. some form of this the situation and but focusing on that one character where she's here this is see this is what I've been thinking mm -hmm. and it speaks to that like the the woman's experience still like as women I think we still try to explain it away we try to make sense of it and we try to like say okay did we do something wrong was it their fault should we have been looking out for each other but unfortunately it's maybe they 
maybe at that point in the story when they're older women, yeah, I would never leave you. But it's back then, they're different people back then. So it's, yeah, I I, I really enjoyed that one. By the end of that story, Delia, the main character, she just, that's part of what she gets to is, I can't make a story out of this, right? This thing that happened to me. And I think a story that feels like gets the whole truth of what happened or how she's felt about it all these years. And one of the things that I wanted to capture in that story or hoped to capture was just this feeling of how whatever might have happened to you at some point in your life. And as you said, many women, pretty much all women I know have a story yeah, or have one of these, what I call the bad thing that happened, but how it, it never leaves you that it's always hanging around so that you get in some different city, you hear a song or you go to a certain place or you experience a sunset and all of a sudden there's that thing again. Yeah. And it's just like the exhaustion of never being able to like not have it popping up in your memory. Yeah. 100%. Um, and that's how, and that's one of the experiences this group of women is sharing. It was fun, like the scenario, the environment that you, that you, the, the setting that you put the story in, like Girls Weekend, <laughs> like all these different women and the main character it seems like she's she feels a little obligation like maybe she's not up to it and then at by the end of the story she's just she finds contentment it's to a point she finds an activity that she can tolerate like with (laughs) in this week long like the girls week even that it sounds exhausting like a girl's weekend sounds fantastic but i could see like a whole week I know it really gets it. I love my friendships, but I'm also, I also need a lot of time alone. Um, And the idea of doing any kind of like mass social activity in a large group for an entire week. Where you're, yeah, there's almost no escape. I hate to put it that way, but. No, that's absolutely. (laughs) That's why by the end of the story, she's like, I've got to get out of here and go for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to be in the hot tub all day. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% there where I I love my alone time. I don't know if introversion, whatever, like we recharge. I think, I don't know, it depends. I'm still like on the fence about extrovert versus introvert because it's like extroverts are like they feed off of energy of other people where introverts, they recharge being by themselves. But I don't know, like I I can, if I was a true introvert, I don't think I could do something like this where just be able to strike up a conversation no matter what, or at least like about the subject matter, about gush about your work. But I'm also, one of my favorite forms of self-care is just going to a bar by myself and having a drink and reading my book. Like that is, a yeah, that is a way for me to just enjoy some me time. Even if it's the noise, moderate noise, I don't mind. I'm just like there to have a snack and to have a drink and enjoy my time. It's the simplest thing, but I totally resonate with that, which just, yes, I want my girl time, but I'm also like, uh, like I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. When my family goes away for the weekend, people are like, do you need to come over for dinner or something? I'm like, no, I'm good. No. I'm going to be alone eating my cereal. <laughs> show. microwave some leftovers i don't care just exactly either with a book or yep binge watch your shows exactly watch a movie that nobody wants to watch (laughs) like yeah 
Perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, right I think you. of myself the same way. It's like I'm, I call myself like a slashy, right? Introvert slash extrovert because I have to be like when I teach and everything, you have to yes. get into the energy of interacting with people and it's great. But at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I got a veg in front of my. my exactly. Show. Exactly. Yeah. It's that it's like making sure you have that balance of like you're ready to go the next day. Right. You're ready to teach the next lesson to be in the next classroom for sure. For sure. There's yeah, there definitely you gotta you gotta figure it out because otherwise you're gonna drive yourself you're gonna drive yourself crazy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So just a couple more questions before we wrap right. up here. So what this also might be a loaded question. What do you hope that readers get out of these stories, this collection, if anything? First, I hope they enjoy some of the humor in the collection. You asked me before what I had fun writing. Yeah. And there are a couple of the stories in here. I have some moments of fun, I would say, with every story that I wrote in this. And I think there's humor in all of them. It's to a larger or lesser degree in each story. A couple of the stories that are the more fantastical or almost experimental kind of stories came to me more of a piece. So one of those would be Hot Lesbian Vampire Magic School. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which which was really fun to write. I just yeah, I could tell you had fun. Let <laughs> myself loose with that one. Also, the woman who did things wrong, which is a, almost like a fairy tale. Yeah, those were very fun to write. So I hope that people enjoy the humor and the and some of the wordplay. But I also hope that as women or girls read these stories, that there there's some kind of spark of recognition that some of our experiences that we might not love to talk about because they're embarrassing or just confusing. I just feel like I'm in this perpetual state of confusion about how I'm supposed to do my life. It's almost like a little like, comfort. You know what? Yeah. You're, you're like, I'm at this age and I still am feeling this way. I, I tell like, you what, yeah. <laughs> just as roll been, with it. <laughs> I just had my 50, 51st birthday. I'm saying I'm 50 fun. Trying to make yeah. it fun. Yes, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that when I I'm, I'm yeah. approaching I'm approaching 37 next month so I'm like but even then I'm still like okay I try to put it in my mom's perspective right she was 37 when she gave birth to my brother and I'm thinking like oh okay like that kind of helps put it into context a little bit right. but then I realized oh that's not it seems old but like for childbirth maybe but it's not that it's yeah not old. I feel like but in the grand scheme of things not old no. at all I always think my mom used to say to me when she was, she only lived to be like 68, 69, but she used to say to me, like, I get up every morning and I just feel like the same as I ever did. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is that old woman? Because on the inside, I just still feel like I'm 12 years old. I could see that. Yeah. Cause I look at just not just my mom, but celebrities are probably a bad example. But when you hear about women, I don't know, Dolly Parton, isn't she also 70 or something? Oh my but God, she's I still, think she's eight. Yeah. Who knows? Age. Yeah. Age is eight. She still seems sharp enough. Like she's still got that energy. She's still got that attitude, that personality. And I'm sure. like, yeah. So it's not all hope is lost. Like getting old isn't horrible. You just, it's I think you just be my age now much rather it's better <laughs> exactly with your life experiences and the older I get the more I realize like the more confident like I am where you know what this is me and I like who I'm turning out to be and 
I I'll, I'm probably going to be a different person in 10 years from now. And it's, I'm not worried about it. And if, if I'm not your cup of tea, that's perfectly fine. Like I'm a big dork. I don't care. Right. Like, I've Yeah, exactly. It's refreshing. Yep. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. That's fine. It's not nothing wrong with either of us. No, I mean that you can't like everybody and everybody can't like you. It's exactly. And I think, yeah, once you, I think that's something that comes like that with age that you realize that and you're secure enough in yourself where that's okay. Whereas teenage me, I would have been like, I was like more self-conscious. Oh, like, why don't you like me? What did I do? At what point did I mess up? And now I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't make your life worse. I don't know. That's maybe that's the extent of what I would, I hope I didn't do something to harm you. Otherwise, if it's simply, you don't like me, like that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) I feel so much for my students because I see them, they're 18, 19, 20. Yeah. And they're still in that space where they're just, they're anxious about everything. And I get it, but I'm like, so relieved. Yeah. (laughs) I always try to say, I just try to say, just calm down. It's going to be fine. By the time you're my age, you'll barely remember you took this class. It will not matter to you. Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like, how do you tell them without them? Like they have, sometimes they just have to realize it themselves, but how do you like, yeah. How do you convince them? Trust me in 10, 15 years, you're not going to, you're going to be fine. Like you're (laughs) right. Right. And you're trying to say that while at the same time, like not downplaying. Absolutely. They're very real. I remember how how strong the feelings were. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's just rite of passage. It's a way of life coming of age, all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) What is next for you? Are you working on anything that you could talk about? I am working on a novel. I don't, really want to talk about it. I'm of the slightly superstitious school of, I don't want to talk it out, Um, but it is centered on my character, Delia, who appears in several of these stories. And she's a character who kind of shares some particular things of my life experience, but definitely not other things. So I try to let her, I'm actually a pretty like cautious person. I think I have made some rather reasonable choices for the most, other than being writer, which is not a reasonable choice. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I think I'm, I'm pretty cautious. And so I try to let her maybe go a little off, be a little more impulsive than maybe I would be. But That's so, part of it, right? That's part of the exploration. That's part of the fun. Yeah. Imagine. It's for, I have a lot of, I'm really great catastrophizer. I'm a worst case scenario uh, <laughs> with six of them in five minutes, five seconds. So writing fiction, I think it is a great way to, it's a release for some of that. Yeah, uh, definitely. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm working on that and I, I have a lot of ideas for other projects and nonfiction as well. Right now I'm just trying to balance it all with the teaching and with doing all the, the cool PR stuff that we're doing around. Yeah. Me. Uh, really yeah you're, yeah you're riding the promotion wave right now so. yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna be doing lots of events and conversations and which is really fun because with my first book I did some of that stuff but it was in late 2021 early 2022 mm. so we were still really affected by pandemics yeah, yeah. Uh, business is not usual yeah very not usual hopefully I know we're in a surge right now apparently but hopefully some of that will subside. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, at one point I was like, I don't know. It's just living amongst us now. It's just part of our lives now, but right. it's, yeah, it's, 
not to be doom and gloom, but I feel like it's not, this isn't like the only thing in our lifetime that we're going to see. I can't, I imagine it's probably, there could be a, easily like another thing that's going to throw humanity for a loop for sure. Yeah, probably. So we got to pace ourselves with our. <laughs> yeah. And amongst all the, everything else, right? <laughs> yeah, I know you have to like, that's why I try to like keep a limited diet of news and other stuff. Not also whatever it's, turns out to be happening over the next whatever years. Yeah. This, this is my one life to live too. So exactly. That's what, you know? I know it's oh yeah. It's like when all it seems like all hope is lost, but then I'm like on the other hand, I'm like, oh, nothing matters anymore. Just do what you want. It's like who cares? Like I don't yeah. it's like you don't want to sweat the small stuff and look at the big picture and it's just every everyone else is just living their lives and just have to do your best to yeah like not feel too overwhelmed but I'm like I don't know this the cynic in me is just like nothing matters anymore nobody cares <laughs> just do yeah, whatever you want I'm just saying that working with younger people also just fills me with a lot more hope because I think it's a lot of people my age or older want to be like, oh, these young people, they're always on screens and they're so this or that. And I'm like, they're awesome. Yeah. They are so like the students that I teach are so kind hearted and empathetic and like open. And they're reminds- different. It's like a total di- like different shift that that generation of entering new adult now. Yeah. It's ridiculous because my niece is 20 years old and I'm like. Oh, like just, she's just, she just inspires me for lack of better words. I just, I, I, she surprises me with just some of her overall attitude and how open she is and unapologetic she is about her feelings. And I, yeah. And then the whole thing about like people, older generations, but that's been happening for years, right? Where older generations are saying, oh, the young people here today. And it's like, those young people are now your age, right? Like they're 50, 60. I'm Gen X, right? We were all oh, they don't care about anything, the slackers, <laughs> you know, so. Hippies, yeah. I don't know. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's every generation, right? If you go back and read history about, oh my gosh, young people in the 20s, those crazy flappers and they're yeah. risque <laughs> dancing and wearing those dresses with their knees showing. What's yeah. going to Society's falling apart. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the great things I think about. I've always been interested in history. And so I read a lot of about history and it really gives you the longer view. People during the Black Plague, people thought things were pretty bad. Uh, during like all of these different wars, things very bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it pays to be Pollyanna-ish about the problems that we have in our world today. But at the same time, I think being able to have some perspective on history and the longer view can help you maybe not freak out as much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Perspective is just like we, at the end of the day, it's like human nature. Like we react very similar to like a lot of the situations. It's like there are patterns, right? And then we react to it very similar whether it's we react similar to change. We react similar to things that we the extremes that we want to fight for or fight against, right? It's just, it, human nature in general, there's like a lot of common commonalities, even if it's the big picture might seem different. It's just human beings. So what I try to do is just surround myself with people who are like doing creative things or people who are 
doing work where they are like caring for people or caring for the environment or they're trying to make good change in their community. Like those are the people I want to have around me because they also, you know, they keep my hope up and they inspire me to do better. It's that energy and that positivity. And it's, yeah, you know what? You're being real about it. Yeah, this is a problem. Let's try to not contribute to the problem. Let's try to not just slide into complacency or just, oh, there's nothing we can do. Let everything go to hell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, 100%. Not that it isn't a battle. (laughs) (laughs) Choose your, choose your role, choose what you can do. And yeah, exactly. Don't just sit around and be like, I'm just going to worry about myself. It's no, there's like something to be admired about wanting to even just do a little something. Just do a little right. something. Yeah. Whatever, whatever little thing you can do in your own sphere of of the world. Yeah, exactly. 100% for sure. Julia Ridley Smith, where can we find you online and on social media? You can find me at juliaridleysmith.com. That's my website. And I'm rarely on Twitter X anymore, but I do have a profile there, Julia Trifles. And I'm Julia Trifles on Instagram. And Julia Ridley Smith writer on Facebook. Um, so I'm lots of places. And I'm going to, if you go to the events page on my website, um, that's showing a lot of the places where I'm going to be doing readings and conversations and events all throughout the spring this year. Nice. I would love to see lots of people out at those places. I'm going to be in conversation with a lot of other great writers who will be really fun to talk to. Yeah, perfect. That's exciting. Yeah, that'll be really fun too. It's like a different energy level for sure. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so Sex Romp Gone Wrong, that comes out on February 6th. Julia, thanks so much. This was such a cool, awesome, fun conversation. I recommend this really to anybody who, I guess like women's fiction, but like short stories. It's I feel like, you could pick it up and put it down. You don't have to remember a plot. You can just right. finish the story and then come back to it later. And you go um, to I sleep think... and read another one tomorrow. Right? Exactly. But yeah. And then whenever you get to your longer story or anything else you got going on, feel free to come back and we can chat about that too. I would love to. Thank you so much, Megan. And it was really fun talking with you today. And there you go. That was Julia Ridley Smith talking about Sex Romp Gone Wrong. That is her collection of short stories available on February 6th. Rate, review, subscribe. You can check out the show notes where you can find links to purchase the book and where to fo- follow Julia on online and on social media. Please do find Cantina Book Club on your, all your favorite social media and your po- favorite podcast players. And if you really want to help the authors out, you want to help me out, please do go find them on Amazon and Goodreads. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It really does help them out. Pre-orders really help them out. Please go do that. And like I said, you short stories, you can't go wrong because you can just pick up the book, set it down, pick it up, set it down without worrying about where you're starting, where you left off. But either way, as always, thank you guys so much for listening.